0: Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD
1: everybody, this is David, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. This is the third intro because uh, the first two had the wrong mic setting. So instead of this mic right here, for those of you watching this on the YouTube version, which is just uh, a few inches in front of me, it was recording off a mic which is about two feet away. So um, yeah, anyway, uh, we should be set for the show today. Um, our title, projected benchmarking, how to spot this garbage media ploy following a mass shooting. So, projected benchmarking is my own term; came up with that. Might use it in some publications, uh, but I'm I'm still frustrated with the media coverage of the Las Vegas uh, massacre, and certainly recognize the, uh, the, the pain and, and, and just how disturbing that, that event was, um, and believe that that was amplified unnecessarily by media coverage. And I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm not talking, um, national media, although I do have one national media article, uh, that Yahoo put up, um, And I'm going to, October 5th, put it up yesterday, which is is stupid. And I'm going to talk about it. But, um, you know, I'm upset with local media. I live right outside of of Madison, Wisconsin. So, you know, a pretty large metro area. And and just what the the local Madison TV did the next day, which was pretty common. You know, I, I talked to some of my agents in the field. Across the United States, and the same thing plays out, it's just a ratings grab, and um, and, and there's a pattern, and, and I want to I talk about it because I want to make you aware of it, and um, I'm not sure anything necessarily is going to change with it, but it, it's frustrating, and um, I, I think actually it, it shows it represents a desperation by the mainstream media to, to, to try to stay relevant right now. Um, those of you who are watching this, you can kind of see him adjusting my collar. So um, this is a, kind of a little bit of an itchy wool sport coat. So a few anecdotes to start us off. One is a reflection on the Katie Pashan interview. So that was last week. Katie with the Cajun Navy. So Katie, a shout-out to you. Um, and my – jeez. Like so I have adjustable arms on this chair and sometimes um I I've, I've gotta get the one arm down in order to get the drawer open and then if I don't reset it then it kinda of looks like I'm doing the show like sideways off a cliff or something. It's still not right. Alright, let's try that out. It's better. I don't know. So this will probably send me into chiropractics at some point to, to get all bent back into, into alignment here. I don't know, but, um, so Katie did a, did a wonderful job. And I still laugh because I, I got a hold of Katie and she's tr- tremendously busy, tremendously busy, uh, in, in supporting the Cajun Navy relief, which is different than just the Cajun Navy, Cajun Navy relief, the authentic, the 501c, the nonprofit is what Katie works with. Um, and so, so, you know, we start kind of prepping for the, the interview and she's, um, outside in her garage, like, you know, getting some things moved around or whatever. I can barely see her. It's night, but she's got her iPhone on and, and we're prepping and, and, uh, she's, she's in the house and then the phone, um, dies and she's got to, got to get the charger on it and some stuff like that. So, uh, you know, remarkably the audio was great. Uh, on that, on that show, Katie. But anyway, um, you can find um, Katie at Katie Pishon, um which is the symbol at, for those of you who've never used the internet before. Um, Katie, K-A-T-I-E, all one word, K-Pachon, right? I don't know. I can't check it now. Um, but um, K-A-T-I-E-P-E-C-H-O-N, um, which you think would be more fluent considering reading this right off a piece of paper in front of me. Um, but anyway, if you go Cajun Navy Relief, start looking under that. You can find Katie. Of course, I've, you know, that's my pinned, um, post in Twitter right now up until I put the new podcast out there, which I'm recording at this moment. So, um, but yeah, Katie's done a tremendous job. Cajun Navy Relief. What really struck me with, with the Cajun Navy Relief again is that, um, you know, Katie, Katie, for example, was working on ripping out drywall, helping to gut on, gut houses in Louisiana from the 2016 flood, you know, like a year ago. So it's one of these, these operations that scales up and then, um, sustains it, you know, other operations scale up and then they scale down and, and things move on. So very impressed by the Cajun Navy. Um, uh, very, um, mixed, you know, timing for the show to come out because it came out and, and then, um, you know, you know, literally a day later we had, we had the Vegas shootings. So it was, it was something where we have the, the best of America, grassroots efforts, people coming together, volunteering, um, helping others. And then of course we had the, the Vegas, um, the Vegas massacre. So it felt awkward to do a lot of promotion of the show, um, um, so, I was, I, I maybe didn't do as much with promotion as what I could have, um, just because I didn't want to give an impression that I was trying to, um, divert a, attention away from what was happening in the moment in, in Vegas. So, that is the reason, um, you know, the show, and I, I've, I've gone in now, um, a little stronger back into Twitter and, and to work uh, efforts on, on getting people to be aware of the show but but it was just awkward awkward timing. I mean you don't want to come out and say, hey, like this horrible um, you know, massacre happened in Vegas, but look at all the great things that are happening with the, the Cajun Navy, like those two things would balance each other out, you know. So it it was it was really, you know, kind of again awkward timing, but there's also something in there that if you watch the video and listen to Katie and, and listen to the Cajun Navy relief and what's going on, there's a lot of really tremendous people and, and kindness and giving that's happening in America. And unfortunately, unfortunately we have it interrupted by idiots, um, you know, um, who decide to kill 58 people. Um, so, so at some point, yes, the show is going to be moving over to Podbean. I've, I've made that choice and have a few podcasting friends, including Hector Solis of Typical Daddy Podcast and the Awareness Podcast, which is going to be releasing its inaugural, inaugural episodes here in a few weeks. Um, you don't want to miss that. Uh, the, the Awareness Podcast. Go in Awareness Pod at Awareness Pod on, on Twitter. Follow um, Hector Boy, he gets into some super hard-hitting topics in his interviewed, um, it, For example, like prosecutors um, in child sex trafficking and, and and the stories behind the stories. He's 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 extremely thorough, uh, very very professional, um, and I've learned a lot from Hector and and he's and he's a close friend. So, um, but um, please subscribe follow the show. And I do appreciate that. Actually, it was a couple of weeks ago. I was sick and it was like 90 degrees here and humid, you know, which was very atypical for Wisconsin in September. And, um, I had this like upper respiratory thing and I did a show and my voice was just horrible. I mean, it was like crackling and, and no matter what I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't get through a show. And then if you eat, you know, if you put like three cough drops in, you know, it looks like you got the mumps or else in in that affects how you're talking. So like, it's like, I'm not doing it. So, um, I went a week without doing a show and I had done like 45 straight shows, 45 weeks and released every, basically every weekend, except, you know, there were sometimes me like Monday or Tuesday, if it was a really crazy weekend, but 45 consecutive shows. So I had a week I missed and a few people noticed, you know, they were like, yeah you know, you're still broad you still broadcasting what's up you know and i i don't know i think i posted something like no show this week like doing next week but um and i and i've switched you know my website's been updated so if there are some people that follow the show on a regular basis now i mean it's growing and if i go into analytics i can see you know internationally there's there's there are people who are following the show um but i do have an organic population that will you know regularly uh, message me or email me and things like that. And and like, they listen to the entire show and they'll talk about like a specific point in the show and something like that. So maybe you're seeing some of those threads show up on Twitter. I mean, you don't have Facebook. So that's the one thing people are like, once you get Facebook, I'm like, which I had and I have to figure out some way to get that in a, in a way, which I don't, I don't want to, I do not want to friend anybody. I do not want to know what anybody else is doing. I don't care. Um, but if it, is what I have to do in order to get a, a podcast page where then I can, can share this and, um, you know, like the, the sustainable living podcast, Mary, Marianne West. Um, I, I just, I, I, love that podcast and Larry Roberts Riley random and, and other, uh, other podcasts, of, of course, awareness podcast, typical daddy, um, podcast with, uh, with Hector or Solis. Um, but but anyway you know they they all they all have that and it's not like i'm socially media um inept i mean i'm not i i had facebook i mean i'm using twitter i have got the you know the website's really cool thank you larry roberts by the way and uh but i, yeah, I go into the 405media.com so the show is broadcast on the 405media.com out of los angeles california
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast.
1: we are back and thank you so that was the 28 second go get your doritos and use the bathroom break um you've listened to the show enough now where hopefully you've you can accomplish both those things during that time span um but yeah welcome back to the show but uh we have a, a formal Partnership, Not not specifically a show partnership, it's a professional partnership. I've worked with uh, Sprigio. So in the background, again, the, the signage is going to change to only Sprigio and then um, the 405media.com and ISS 24-7. Um, definitely appreciate them supporting the show. Uh, they, they do incident management for, for example, the, the NFL, NCAA, um, large large venues, uh, their systems are with with communications and rescue um, uh, or, or critical incident management situations. You know, someone is at a baseball game, major league baseball game, and you know they're up in section C of deck one twelve or whatever it is, and and you know they're they're having chest pains that they they immediately coordinate the emergency response to that section. Um, so. And talking about ISS twenty four seven, I believe that, I believe ISS twenty four seven had had nothing um, at all to do in supporting the the Vegas you know concert, but they they do support large venue um, events and in their capacity it is it is you know communications um, systems and if an incident happens in making sure that. Um, appropriate resources are dispatched to to different areas they think no no don't yeah don't try this don't try this um so um but but joe brusee from sprigio sprigio is the nation's leader in um this is my simon Cowell kind of look by the way this this is this this is the way i'm going to shoot most of these, these shows um but anyway um so Sprigio, Sprigio.com, S-P-R-I-G-E-O.com out of Santa Barbara, California, is the nation's leader in online bullying and threat, um, software bullying, harassment, um, threat um, online, you know, software reporting those. And I actually just had in Wisconsin a, a day or two, um, a high school student had reported another student who had made a substantial threat against the school. And, um, that threat was then appropriately handled and de-escalated before anything significant could happen. Thanks to the Spriggio system and the response of administrators and police. Um, I've been a believer in Sprigio and in Joe. He's a, he's a great guy. He had written a book, I believe in the middle school years, um, started Sprigio. We met kind of like right after he had started. So I don't know, Joe, you know, what, seven, eight, nine years ago, um, put his heart and soul into this company, just wanting to make kids safe. Really, really folks. he's, he's a great guy, has a great team working for him. And, uh, Joe and I met in Madison. Uh, he flew in from Santa Barbara. had some stops to do across the country and, and one of, um, the discussions we had was increasing my role with, with the company. I do work right now with user interface, um, And working specifically on how to make sure we're having the company is is maximizing so it is reaching as many students, as many youth as possible through the interface, meaning that if you have a reading disability, if you have autism, if you're an English language learner, that um, you're able to interface with this system because most systems out there are just too complex um, for that. The readability levels are, are too high. So I worked with, um, a a, or I contacted a a researcher at UW-Madison in the statistics department uh, that I had taken a number of classes from and and got some feedback from him on on some ideas I had for readability and how I would bring that uh, information into Spragio, working with Joe. And also we are designing uh, a brand-new post-drill feedback system. So, you know, Think about it. Kids, I mean, if you at work, I mean, you're doing a drill. It's a fire drill. Everybody, all right, fire drill. You hear the bell. Go out to the um, sidewalk. Stay out there until you hear the all clear. Come back. Nobody really knows why or cares. And even on 9-11, um, through Amanda Ripley's book, um, which I forget the name of right now, but Amanda Ripley um, wrote a book after 9-11, And it's behind me, which might take me a while to find it. But um, she indicated, you know, she interviewed a lot of people from the towers. And and a number said, yeah, I mean, once the, the drills, we would have drills, like we're all supposed to get, you know, into a certain area and then, you know, descend down some stairs or whatever. Some of them didn't do it, you know, after a while. I mean, it was just like sound the drill. Some people assemble an area, some people wouldn't. Four minutes later, you get the all clear. But, you know, you run into drill fatigue. So we are working, um, let's say we am working with, with Joe and his team on um, an approach to tackle drill fatigue, which I think will be very effective. And he has shared it with some of the um, substantial clients of his company. They're very excited. So anyway, I'm looking forward to working with Joe Bruse um, in a elevated consultant role. I've done work with the company, but this is definitely a, a step um, up into a kind of primary lead consultant on interface design and looking at their data systems. Um, you might say, Dave, why are you doing this? Uh, well, remember also here, the safety doc does have a PhD. God, this is like, okay. As As you look at this on YouTube, this arm is upright. This, this, this arm on this chair is literally six inches lower, six inches lower than the other one. This arm, which looks like it's down. looks like I'm leaning. I'm, it can't go any lower. I love this chair, by the way. And like I had to, this, you know, after a while, the, the shock thing doesn't work. So the, the chair won't go, you can't adjust it up and down. Um, so I permanently bought this fix off the internet. I And again, I like to plug the company. I don't know it was years ago. And you you basically put these things around it, and it fixes a chair in one position. But once you do that, it's kind of where it is forever. And but that's fine for me because I didn't. It was never adjusting to that chair height anyway. So like, um, but uh, why? Yeah, why are you working with you Well, because I'm a research, you know researcher, and and I. You know, research safety, uh, safety input systems, high stakes decision, decision making, I have a PhD out of Madison, UW Madison. Um, and, and this is, this is what I want to do. And, and I think, um, there are ways to make systems more accessible to more kids, more families. And as we just had with the Vegas uh, massacre, that if you can identify ahead of time, uh, signs and get those in and into people um, and, and have those investigated especially in schools there's usually residue there's recruiting you know more and more information is coming out on on this this guy I forget paddock I guess is his last name you know he probably worked with others and it's like hey I we had no idea of course things are gonna you're gonna find you know these websites you went to people you interacted with of course there's gonna be a trail um, but anyway um, that Hopefully, you're going to have a system that's going to detect that. It's like the submarine with the super, super, super great sonar that can hear, you know, like two lobsters duking it out on the, you know, on the floor of the, or on the seabed 300 miles away. Yeah. And um, it's it's kind of like that. Um, so really excited. R- really excited to be working with joe on that so anyway there's 55 million kids that go to school every day and uh that's a lot folks in the u.s 55 million kids so if you have uh your kids are going to school understand what the safety system is and if it's a tell an adult that doesn't work anymore it's that that doesn't cut it okay it just doesn't cut it so um if if your school doesn't have a system check in with Bragio if they if you want to ask talk about what they have um you know, you can also go online, S-P-R-I-G-E-O, check out Spragio, um, it, it It is a great, it is a great, um, a great resource for schools. So, um, I don't know if any of you, and I'm beating, smacking the mic here because I adjusted the position of it. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if any of you are aware of, this this company ten thousand villages. Um, it is a anyway. I went online a few years ago and bought some stuff like with my daughters. I think for my wife's birthday and or Christmas or whatever. But basically, it's it's like supporting people from Africa and whatever. And you know, I, they make they'll take like a sardine can and make like a piano out of it, a thumb piano or something like that. And, but or some other cool things, not that what they make is garbage, but it's just, it, it, it's crafted by villagers. So it's, you're supporting them. I don't know. But, um, now 10,000 villages has turned into basically ten ten thousand 10,000 emails. You know, like I get emailed all, all the time, by the you know, here, here's something new from 10,000 villages. I'm like new as in what new as in like someone came up with us 10 minutes ago, you know, Hey, it's a giraffe made of cardboard. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I know where your website is. But honestly, like, I'm trying to unsubscribe. That and and LL Bean, those are the two. Once you get in there, I mean, you, you think the security breach with Equifax is bad. You get into to LL Bean and 10,000 Villages and you get on their mailing list, you're, you forget it. I mean, you've got to go. You, you, you basically have to give up your identity at that point. And, and become somebody else until they find you, you know, and it all starts over again. But, um, so, hey, please, uh, I talked about this before, but please visit the show. We are on, when I say we, me, and, you know, it's me. But um, Apple Podcasts, you can go and find the safety doc on Apple Podcast. And go into uh, Twitter. Hey, at SafetyPhD, at safety PhD follow. Thank you for the Twitter following that continues to grow. I remember uh, back in March in Disney Orlando, I think we hit 300 followers and the show kind of was, was rather new back then. And I was like, Oh my goodness, like 300 followers. And today, you know, we're, we're up around 1500 and I. You know, and I, to some people that sounds like a lot and other people are like 1,500 It's nothing because, I, I mean, some of the shows I follow have tens of thousands of followers. Um, but uh, but I think it's pretty good because, you know, um, you're not the average bear listening to this. You're intellectual and you want information that's not filled with, with rhetoric. I mean, I, I get the rhetoric out of this stuff, put it through the ringer, get the rhetoric out, and, and you leave here and you learn something new. And that's what I bring to you, new perspectives, and makes you a uh, sharper person, you know, gives you a little bit bit of an edge in, in dialogue with your peers on some of these topics. And, and I think just people appreciate, like you, like listening to the show, you appreciate intelligent discussion. And where are you going to get it now? You're not going to get it from the mainstream media. And anything, you know, that it, these documentaries that are done, you know, they're you know watch four minutes two minutes of commercial watch four minutes two minutes of commercial and you've got to do everything so you know you can't upset one sponsor i mean if you upset irish spring and they
0: bail and they go under then what aaron what are you going to use thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast with the nation's leading safety expert dr david perodin author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast.
1: And we're back. All right, this is a show which we're 54 minutes right now. Probably uh, is not going to make the one-hour limit. But anyway, we're going to keep going. So um, on October 18th, coming up here, October 18th, I'm going to be doing a co-podcast with Larry Roberts, who is the host of Readily Random Podcast. So if you go to ReadilyRandom.com, that is Larry Roberts' site. I love Readily Random Podcast. Uh, Larry Um, brings in guests of varying background, but, but kind of focuses on, on people that have some, um, life struggles that they, they've overcome. Um, and recently he's had some people on with addictions, um, that they've overcome. And and one of them was, um, I mean, I love every show and, and, and Larry's shows, I mean, Larry, well, his shows are like 45 minutes. I mean, he, Larry's the professional that's, I mean, he, Knows how to edit. He, he's he, he, so it's great. I mean, um, and and he had on a responder to nine eleven. So it was a paramedic, young paramedic. I was twenty, and he was coming out of, um, I think, Jersey City. So he was coming over on a boat with other firefighters, military, you know, police, EMS, you know, whoever could be assembled, and they were coming over on a tour tourist boat, you know, like they would do a harbor tour. And he said, uh, everyone was drinking. So this is what he said on the show. So I'm not like, but he said, you know, everyone, everyone's drinking. And just the culture that was so, so much ingrained in in over his career and, and how it impacted his career. And actually, um, you know, he exited, um, EMS because of addiction. Um, but he talked he talked about that and just that story was never told. And of course he couldn't. I mean, how can you tell that story without people starting to say, oh, look at all the drunk responders, you know, coming in and parting it up and stuff like that. And and of course the reality is, I mean, people are knowing they're going into a a, a situation where they might not be returning. And and it is, you know, it it's not uncommon even you know in the history of war for these types of 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 things um you know for it what you know the kamikazes to to you know drink before that you know they would they would go in and um you know have their their final attack but but um but yeah i mean he he talked about it but of course it's a story we don't hear and we probably won't we'll never hear like in a book or anything like that because it someone's, you know, there is, is be taken out of context and, and it wouldn't shed an appropriate light on responders to me. Um, I'm a critical incident briefer years ago I was a firefighter, I never had anything like this that I was involved in. Um, but, but certainly do not have a hint of looking down at, at any of those people that he mentions, um, for, for doing that. Um, not, not in the least, but it, it is a fascinating story where he just talks about that heavy culture of even like um, the bars opening up at 7 in the morning um, kind of secretly, you know, for the ambulance drivers who get off shift and the nurses and things like that. And so they could go in and and, and kind of commiserate and, and talk about their, their, their days uh, or nights, I guess, and um, be there for a little while, um, you know collapse into to bed or on the couch and, and get up and kind of do it all over again so um, but anyway readilyrandom.com v- visit that uh, Larry's Larry's really putting together some awesome shows and I email him afterwards and, and sometimes I, I try to make contact with his guests like I'll say Larry can you contact this guest and, and you know I have like a question or something like that um, and some of them are like yeah no I don't you know, they they kinda don't want to contact anyone else, but um but yeah, Larry Larry does a tremendous job. Check out Readily Random. So anyway we're doing this this show, this co show, Larry and I. And and I've gotten to know Larry. You get to know people in in the podcasting community. So um and and we're doing a co show on October eighteenth and we're basically going to talk about um comedy after tragedy. And how you how you handle that? Because Larry's also a comedian, and, and I think um, I have I have you know comedic tendencies, and 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 have always always had that too. Um, but a number of the people on his show, for example, have gone through I mean extreme life things, and when they tell their stories, there's there's often humor that they inject or, or, you know, laughter or things like that. And, and, and I, I think that can be misinterpreted because again, you know, I, in my work as a critical instant debriefer, um, and just studying human psychology. Um, part of the reason people do that when they tell these absolutely kind of horrifying life stories, these, these accounts, is it's a psychological coping mechanism so even even the laughter that you're seeing is this mental um, kind of disconnect this the self defense that, that a person is putting out so they can tell a story and sometimes that gets misinterpreted i was talking to Hector Solis um on on his um uh, podcast uh, he's going to be releasing soon with the awareness podcast and one of the people who was a victim of of a very uh, very significant um uh event talks about that and, and, and shares some, some laughter in that. And he talks about how that person was in sharing that story, um, in a different venue. Um, what was, was attacked by a number of people of, of, you know, not taking it seriously or not, you know, or, you know, blowing it off or making light of it because yeah, I mean, you're smiling or you're laughing. It's like, no, that's, you know, when they, when they show the, the TV show mash, you know, um, mash of the based upon the Korean war. And they bought a lot of stories and you see like Hawkeye and, you know, and the doctors are always playing tricks, but then, you know, the, the rest of their days are up to their elbows in in blood and surgery and things like that. It, it, it is, it is that, uh, that macabre type of humor that you have to have just to, to get through some of these things. Um, and, and again, people misinterpret that. So, but Larry, Larry and I, are splitting that show up into kind of talking about comedy after tragedy and, and just our own perspectives on that, because I, you know, I, I struggled with after Vegas of um, again, I want it to be very tactful and, you know, Katie was a lot of fun to interview for the um, Cajun Navy relief show, which came out the day before, um, Vegas, and I was gonna have a, a little more fun with promoting that show, and I pulled back on that because I just didn't feel that that was the right time for that. But yet there is a time for humor. And I remember after the September 11th attacks, um, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld and, and maybe four or five other um, significant comedians at that time uh, came together in New York and did a show. Um, and and it was kind of the first show like after the 9 eleven attacks. Um, a significant comedy show, and, and I remember there was a preface to it. They came out, or else they had recorded and played on a screen um, to the audience before they came out, just saying, "You know what? Like it, this is—it's awkward. We don't know how this will go. We don't know how this will feel, but we know um, humor is a part of who we are. Humor is a part. It's—it's it, it's a distraction from from other parts of." um the grinds of life and, and the tribulations of life and the pain of life um at times and and so we're gonna do do this and this is to have no disrespect to um nine eleven um but all respect, you know, just to all of us in humanity and to America. And and it went really well. And Larry and I are gonna talk about that um and kind of just our own things with podcasting of do our podcasts get influenced? Um, because of what is happening on a national event, does that change how, how we put our shows together and release them and and the feedback we give? Um, and then Larry and I are going to do a little bit of a time travel. Hey, we're, we're the same age. I think Larry and I are like a year apart. So we've got, you know, we can talk about the same, same things, the same, you know, the same music, the same type of stuff growing up and encountering. And, uh, we're, we're going to each share a couple college stories, funny college stories. So like Larry and I were in college at the dawn of the internet and it was, I mean, social media was far down the road yet. And like, you know, I I think that was also just like maybe the introduction of cell phones at that time. Maybe, I mean, that that was like your cell phone. It wasn't even the flip phone, you know, it's just where you could maybe, I don't know, maybe how did it have texting? I don't know. But, um, um, anyway, so yeah, we've got some, some pretty funny stuff to, to share. So, this is going to be a long show, long and awesome, right? This is a show you're going to listen to, Aaron, when you're hiking, and uh, you've just been bit by the rattlesnake, and uh, and uh, you got the tourniquet on, and you're like, I'm going to survive here for for like another hour and a half, and uh, and I'm going to listen to the rest of Dave's show, and thankfully, like, I'm not going to have to skip shows uh, in between and go to something else. So I appreciate that. Um, so the Las Vegas massacre uh i i oh my goodness um so you know i'm staying kind of the obvious but but the reason i do this is i'm you know, i look at the analytics right now and people watch watch or listen to the show from all over the world not a huge world audience but Um, you know, if you're in Australia or somewhere else, I just want to make sure I give some, some basic bare details of what, of what happened. Um, and if you listen to this, of course, um, you know, six months from now, or you're like, you find the safety doc after podcast 117 and you're like, I want to download all this guy's stuff and listen to it. So, um, I want to tell you, so anyway, the Las Vegas massacre, during the evening of October 1st, 2017, 58 people were killed and another 489 injured when gunman Stephen Paddock fired on a large crowd of concert goers at the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival on the Las Vegas Strip. So 58 people killed, including Stephen Paddock, the murderer, then it would be 59. Um, so what happens after this? So. The, the news starts to come out you know that something happened and whatever you know so that's your first three four hours this is this something happened significant down in in, in Vegas number of, of deaths and and then uh, and then the uh, Google and face Facebook were criticized for prominently displaying false news so false stories start being generated domestically and then internationally and they start to filter in like there is a country, I forget where it is overseas. I read, I read an article. Um, Do a little follow-up research, but in, in a lot of people in the country, I mean, that's their, their primary income is just to to create and post false stories that make it onto U.S. mainstream media and and get so many click-throughs and stuff like that. That's, and that's how people make money. So anyway. Um, Google and Facebook were both criticized for prominently displaying false news stories in some of their search results. Um, there's, and that's been cited. The two companies were said to have failed in their responsibility of keeping false stories from reaching the public. Facebook later said its algorithms were designed to detect and remove false stories, but failed to work adequately in this instance. So one is I think there's just so much flooding and people are getting more astute of, of how they're posting false stories I mean, remember the days you used to get the email and be like, hey, you know, I am from Nigeria, and, you know, Nigeria would be spelled wrong, and it would be this real wacky, like, return address um, and all these spelling errors, and I'm, you know, a royal family member, and I need to give you $84 million, and then you can give it back to me, and I'll let you keep a million and stuff like that. But, I mean... The stuff is very sophisticated these days. So these pseudo stories coming out, you know, start to mirror the real thing, but there's no vetting. There's no vetting because, um, I don't care what Facebook and, and Google and, and, you know, the, what they say with social media, but they don't. They pump it out because they want the clicks. They want the clicks and they want the money. So they put the, they put it out there. So, um, you know, you can, I'm going to tell you where you can get some verified information, but, um, I absolutely, uh i i i was angry i was sickened dismayed not surprised this has become typical just frustrated um cuz journalism used to mean something um you know i i remember i remember space shuttle uh challenger the challenger disaster i was in middle school at the time and a student had a set of headphones on in my class it was during a study hall and headphones at that time you know were like what i'm wearing now he was listening to the radio and all of a sudden like he went over to the teacher and then the teacher started listening and then they left and went into another room where there was a tv not a flat screen tv you know those big tvs on a cart or if it fell over probably killed you but um and we got kind of all ushered into this bigger room and, and we were seeing the news. I don't know, ABC, Dan Rather, whatever, the saying that the space shuttle had just exploded. And, um, but there, I mean, you could say was, that was genuine news. Like they were showing some video you had at that time, a journalist reporting on the objective, what, what was known. And it wasn't, you know, all of these, these other conspiracy theories you know coming in and you know we interviewed this person and this person and this. no it was but um so anyway you know this is this is what we'll always we're always going to deal with this now in in any events any significant events um like this sentinel events human drama events there's going to be sensationalism it's going to come out and the media is going to jump on it they're not going to verify it uh, the 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 mass media Um, Again, they want the clicks. The clicks mean money. The media is losing share to podcasting. Um, You know, they're not losing as much to me. They are losing those significant amounts to, um, you know, there are podcasters uh, I download and listen to, and I will be downloading their show and I'll be like, hey, a million other people download it. And that's, it's, it's accurate. Um, And, you know, if, if I'm getting information about economics, (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going on, you know, some some morning stars, some whatever site motley fool and, and listening to some garbage there, you know, and trying to piece through all of the ads. And oh by the way, if you want the rest of the article, click the next button. And if if like the next button is surrounded with like nine ads, like within a millimeter of it. So if you're not absolutely precise with your mouse, then suddenly you're taken off to some some ad that you have to like backtrack five times through to try to get to where you were, but, um, you know, I'll listen to Aaron, I'll listen to Aaron Clary and, uh, Captain Capitalism Clary podcast. And, you know, Aaron will, will periodically, um, you know, come in and he's, he's got uh, poor Richard's retirement out there and, and, uh, give you some of the load on. I'll listen to Peter Schiff, um, interviewed by Stefan Molyneux and, uh, Peter Schiff talk about the economy. Um, you know, Aaron was a banker. Um, Peter, was, um, and still is a fund trader internationally. So, um, only listen. Okay. Only listen to the police, only listen to the police. So when you go on TV, you watch TV or you watch a video clip on YouTube or whatever's out there, you know, if it's, this person is with the, the police that are there, not like your local police, like, you know, the Clark County police department, the responding police who are giving them information about the instant of the scene. That's who you listen to. That's where your information comes from. Um, Especially initially, that's where your accurate information is going to come from. Only listen to the police. Um, So anyway, the local news. So our local news here, you know, I'm talking about Madison, Wisconsin. So, you know, you're probably reaching about a million people um, when, you know, in, in the metro area. So here's what our local news did the next day. So we're talking, you know, what about twelve hours later that they were they were starting to put this out there. The local news. This is what they did. They immediately interviewed school administrators, and I knew some of these folks. And so they interview them, and and also police officers or police chiefs. And here's what they here's what here's the questions that they asked. Okay, they they would ask one, um, how how would you have responded to this incident? or like your organization, um, had it happened here. Okay. And second question, how, how, do, how do you train for, for these incidents? Okay. For, for, yeah, this instant, how, how do you, how do you train for a guy on the 32nd floor who's taking shots at you yeah, in the dark? Um, and C is what is your, what is your advice to everybody out there? So these three questions suck. They're horrible journalistic questions in this context. I'll tell you why. And, uh, you know, so this is this talking head stuff. I mean, this is people who come in. They have nothing, they, they know nothing about, you know, the reporters know nothing about this. They do no research on this. Um, so the school, and anyone they put on the air, typically wants a little bit of time on the air. And, and um, so the, the school folks respond to this and, and, Um, typically, you know, like we, we do our, our drills and our training and, you know, we let kids know that, you know, we try to, you know, have them be a part of it and, but we can't always keep them safe and, you know, okay. so that's reasonable. I mean, that's, but the fact is like, but why are you asking, this wasn't a school shooting and this is, you know, so it's what 58 deaths. I mean, that's. 58 deaths happen in a month in Chicago. I mean, so do you talk about interviewing? Like, how do you, how do you keep your, how do you keep your students safe when they're walking to and from school or visiting metro areas or something? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you're taking this and transposing it. And what did I, what, what's the title of the show anyway? Um, this term I came up with projective benchmarking, meaning you take something that happened somewhere else. And you instantly put it like as it, as it happened here, like if this would have happened here and, and it, you kind of take away the as if it's like, let's imagine this happened here. So again, 32 stories, you have what 22,000 people at this concert at night and, and they're in this area. And of course you have barriers up to keep people in, you know, the, the certain areas and checkpoints and stuff like that. So, so. All of these things which you cannot transpose and, and, you know, and it, this is, this isn't a typical active shooter event either. It's not like you have somebody who is on the move. You have a fixed location, but you don't know where that is. It's night. The whole strip is lit up um, until someone finally, you know, finds out that it's coming maybe from over there, but um, trying to go toward the exits. Um, but again, I, just to get into this, how would you respond to it if it happened here? It, it didn't happen here. It's not going to happen here. Like you have a different context and situation, okay? This—the it, it, last time something like this happened was the Texas Clock Tower, what in '66, '51 years ago. I mean, so just st- a stupid, stupid question. So you—you um, you cannot, you cannot—and I talked about this in other shows. It's like you know the Murrah bombing or 9-11 or all of that stuff and bringing it into people's front yards and saying, you know, well, what if it happened right here? Well, it's like it's a different context and situation. And yeah, it didn't happen here. It's not going to happen here. And if something happens here, it's going to be different. Then you're going to be asking somewhere else, what if that that happened right here happened somewhere else? Like, how would you respond? This other, let's go to place B. So anyway, how do how do you train for such instance? How no one trains. I mean, you you train in general, but nobody knew that this was this is extremely rare. Somebody coming in up in a hotel in Vegas and knocking out windows and and shooting down on someone. I mean, it's never happened, you know. It, and it, so fifty years prior, you know, you had the 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 Texas Tower, but um, the clock tower, but. No. So like you, you, how do you, how do you train? I mean, again, that's a force for such instance, meaning like, how do you train exactly for this? Like a crowd of 20,000 people being shot at. How do you train for that? Well, you don't, you know, you, 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 you train in general, like if there's an attack that, um, some, some, you know, core information, which I'll get across, but these are all nonlinear events. Like every. All of these are, are different, okay? You, you have to take the. the it's even at 9 11, you know, like there was no training for how to rescue 500,000 people in nine hours by boat at 9 11. There's no training in cities, metro cities, for what if there's a nuclear bomb detonated in your city? And we know that there's numerous, what, briefcase bombs missing from Soviet Union era. But, um, you know, they, nobody trains for that and they don't train because one, it's overwhelming and it's like in the context, of you'd have to take the context and situation and deal with it in the moment of like, okay, this happened. This is what we're left with. So now here's our plan. So, yeah, when's the last time, you know, New York has, has trained for a mass nuclear weapons attack? Just how do you train, for instance? Just, just stupid. Um, and C is advice. And this is the one where someone will take a a, a sound clip and, and they actually did this. They had this on the news and, and they had an officer and they're like, well, you know, um, I there was someone who said like they, they just froze after the shooting started. And that's the worst thing you can do. Like you need to run. And and we do active shooter training classes and the public can come out and I'm like, you know what? No. Uh uh-uh. uh I research this stuff. Like I, I, I've worked with the best in the world, okay? you may be a police officer, but I'm telling you, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Um, the Vegas case, um, for example, um, your, your advice, you know, this person who said I froze, and and I, I read a number of accounts too, by the way, where people said they all ran. And if, if you look at the injuries that occurred, um, a number of injuries were stampede injuries from people, you know, running over other people. um, but no, the advice that you're giving in this case, your first step, if your first step is to run, that's not thats not your first step, okay? I'll tell you why, but it's not. It's not. It's not your first step. But no, and, and everyone's going to give advice. It's their moment, it, it, and, and they're going to go out there, and they're going to capture this, and it makes them feel important. And And, you know, sometimes the best thing is to say, I mean, I would really respect watching, you know, someone from law enforcement come in and say, listen, um, we, we cannot transpose this event here. We cannot benchmark it to here and say, here's our advice because there are so many variables. This happened 12 hours ago. We're just starting to learn. Like, you don't know the parameters that were put up for this. You don't know the different lighting and that people could have even seen, Um, for example, you know, anything that was up above. Or if people felt, you know, that you can identify where the shots were coming from. So, you know, you don't want people to run toward where the shots might be. Also, there's an assumption it's a single shooter, which you knew at the time you're interviewing people. But at the time, people are on the ground and, and... uh, you know, 500,000 plus rounds are fine. You might believe there are multiple shooters out there. Um, so this, this is just garbage to take this and, and make this shape this into your own, you know, what, what if this happened here? So um, what else do I have here? So, yeah. So basically, people people who are asked this, school administrators, um, police, and so forth. You know, they're they're basing a few facts. They're basing on things that they generally know about safety or things that they've done locally. Um, but again, they they don't know the information. Like it'll it'll take. 18 months and there'll be a report that'll come out on this. You know, like after Sandy Hook, it was 18 months and there's a thousand pages out there and what, ten hours of video and and other things. And and that's when you can look and then you can start to actually if you want to have a discussion of after knowing all of this information, how might we handle something like that here, I think you can you can have some of those discussions. But no, not after twelve hours when you have really no idea of what of what happened. But what you do I guess what happens is you, you bring this fear then in. it's almost like you're reporting this as if it happened here, and like it is. It's it, and it's like a razor's edge, like a threat away from happening here. Again, something like this is extremely immediately. I mean, what I know is elevated position that indicates someone has very high depth of training in something carrying out an attack like this. But you bring fear. You, you what you're doing. And you're not you're not educating in the media you're not informing and i talked to, to somebody today about this um who's in the cler- clergy actually and they said yeah they're they're talking to other clergy and, and they said the media has gone from the purpose of trying to inform and educate to to really just trying to get get attention and scare um and, and do things like this which is garbage journalism and get the clicks and get the views because they're competing for their life right now because they're being eaten alive by by podcasts and and by um, by online reporting and you can I mean you can do things um, like Periscope you know there could be a, a journalist who could could you know um, grassroots cover this right on YouTube I don't I don't know if that was done or not but that's done in other cases I know it was done in the Oroville Dam for example and it still is. If you want to just the Oroville Dam in California, there's a guy, Blanco Lario, uh, Wayne, or is it Wayne now? I forget his name. He's, he's a really good guy. He he covers that um, the the Oroville Dam crisis. It's kind of resolved. They're, they're, they're fixing it. But people just went to him. I think he received like a media award. He has like a, a little plane. He would fly over. He'd take pictures. He was learning all about it how the dam works and that and, and people are like, this is where I'm getting my news from. Like him. I'm going to him for my news. And I, I would go to it. He would I know I'd watch. I was curious of the updates. But that that's that's the news. He's not hyping everyone. Um so this this whole practice of projected benchmarking, which I think sucks. And I I think it's it's what it's what the contemporary media is using now. And again, especially especially the local media that doesn't have anybody out there like Madison, they don't have anybody out in Vegas, so I mean they're having to, to plug into whatever their affiliates are but I just uh again, I got so mad about that and I wanted to um, contact them or post or something and I didn't because it wouldn't make a difference and it would you know so but anyway um you're listening to this and i'm, I'm going to tell you something like this hap- the next time something happens of this scale um how to keep yourself from getting absolutely scorched by your local news who wants to turn this um into you know fear which is going to keep you glued and, and get you to their website and click on all of their suggestions and things like that but Anyway, uh, I'm going to skip over here. So on Yahoo, on October 5th, they posted an article, Surviving a Mass Shooting, Nine Quick Decisions Made by Those Who Live. The article is by Corin Miller, K-O-R-I-N Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, identified as writer. Congratulations for Yahoo News. Um, So Nine Quick Decisions Made by Those Who've Lived. And I'm just going to read the first um, the first paragraph here. People are horrified and scared in the wake of Sunday night's mass shooting of concertgoers in Las Vegas. Unfortunately, this isn't the first time this kind of attack has happened in the U.S., which has left many people the same question: What should I do if I'm in the same situation? Okay, one. That's that's a really pukey intro. Um, you know, unfortunately, this isn't the first. Time. Don't state the obvious in the intro. Okay. Don't state the obvious in your your article. And to say like, what should I do if I'm in the same situation? You'll never be in the same situation ever. There is no such thing as sameness. There's similar, there's similar situations, but there's nothing that's the same. There's not the same context. You know, there's not the same. You never situation, context, time, surroundings. You know, it, it, it everything is different. Every day, even if you try to live the same day twice, you know, like I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. I'm going to brush my teeth, the same old toothbrush, toothpaste. I'm going to have the same meal. I'm going to try the same. It doesn't matter. Everything's different. Um, so, and timestamps, things evolve. And we, and Katie pointed that out with the Cajun Navy so well, of like the rescue she was doing, she's using Zello and, and different communications apps where we didn't even have those two years ago. So, so anyway, this is where you start the moment you say what should I do in the same situation is you're 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 pre-programming people to think that this is this is linear. So like if A happens then I do B. Or in this case, if A happens, I have nine nine things like I have to remember. And if I do all these nine things like I'm gonna be in really good shape. And a lot of this is crap. So and and let's talk about it. Um what one, one is um uh okay, anyway. Um, oh, God sakes, what is, um, there are many potential variables when it comes to mass shootings, but the actions you can take to help ensure the safety of you and your loved ones are the same. No, again, they're not, they're not the same. They're not the same. Okay. Again, there's similarity, but not the same. And there are many potential variables, It the, the potential, many potential variables. It's an open system. It's, it's chaos. It's nonlinear. You can't, I mean, it's, it is many potential variables the moment somebody comes in in an active shooter situation again and to say this was an active shooter situation i think it's a stretch because it was a fixed position shooting um it it took a while to identify where the shooter was located but the shooter was was and i you know i guess you had the two rooms but but you didn't have this person you know running around the the concert site like chasing people and, and things like that but um no no again this whole there are many potential variables there are literally you know tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of variables on 9-11 the boat rescue that rescued 500,000 people in nine hours one of the variables was it was weather-wise a perfect day what was it about 80 degrees four mile an hour winds calm harbor and it happened in the morning by the time the rescue wrapped up, there was still daylight. Daylight was, was waning at that point. If it would have been a cold day, uh, choppy water, windy, um, it would have been completely different or, you know, more toward um, winter. So it gets dark. You're trying to do a rescue in the dark. Uh, It would have been completely different. Okay. And those are just a handful of, of, of variables. So, so anyway, no, so here's here's what here's what our good buddy um, Corin Miller says. And Aaron, if you're listening, feel free to chime in on this with any of your own thoughts. Um, and any anybody else here who follows a safety doc, please let's let's get some threads going on this. But the first thing: memorize your exits. Uh, that's good advice, but you come in, you've got twenty two thousand people in an open air situation and and likely they're changing once people are in, they're they're probably moving some some of the the barriers to manage crowd control and stuff like that. Um, it's not necessarily that you you don't know where your exits are. It's like how the hell do you get to your exit when twenty two thousand people are running? And you're it's, I mean, it'd be like, you know I've gone to many games at Lambeau Field. I mean, just when the game's done and you're orderly leaving, and I re- it, it's it's hectic, you know, And now you have people who are who are running in every direction because I mean you don't know where the shots are happening and, and stuff like that. So memorize your exits um, that's like I, again, I mean'm I'm, I'm coming into this of like saying it's like stating the obvious, okay. You know, it's, it's, it's like stating the obvious when it's sunny outside, wear sunscreen. Don't look directly in the sun. You know, sunglasses can help you, you know, see when you're trying I mean, okay. let anyway, let's go. Number two, leave the kill zone in quotes as quickly as possible. Okay. You don't know where the kill zone is. You do not know where the kill zone is people you have 22,000 people. And what do they have here? So, um, they have a quote here. Don't wait to see what everybody else is doing. If something bad happens, quote, take action immediately. J. Pete Blair, PhD, a professor of criminal justice at Texas State University, executive director of advanced law enforcement emergency response training center and co-author of active shooter events and response tells Yahoo lifestyle. Uh, Hey, J. Pete Blair, you're wrong. You're wrong. I can bring in people who I, I don't know if I can bring anybody in with a title longer than yours. And, and Pete, I, I I don't know the context. Okay, so I'm not gonna I, I, I'm I'm gonna kind of not go too crazy on this because I don't I don't know you know what you all surrounded this with and then what what the writer put out here. But the fact is, you you have to you know let's take action. The first thing you have to do imagine. Um, it's night. Some people think this is fireworks. Some people are running. You don't know where the shots are coming from. you You have to try to figure out what's going on. and probably your your first thing here is what your advice is maybe is to lower your profile is to get down. And so, if you're standing up versus getting down, you're instantly knocking your profile down in half and and then to look and try to conceal yourself and give yourself then, some seconds to go through your heuristics of what is really happening here. And if you can identify where the shots are coming from, that's great. He talks about leave the kill zone, but you don't know where the kill zone is. You don't know exactly where all of these shots are coming, where they're encompassing. Um, There could be other shooters involved. Again, that you, that this was one person. I am sure during the moment there were people down there who thought there were multiple shooters. So This is crazy. This is, this is crazy. You talk about the kill zone, but you don't know what the kill zone is. You could be running from this Vegas thing. You could be running right into where the shooter was. I mean, if one of your exits was to run and run out on, you know, the road and toward Mandalay Bay. So again, it, it, it's a statement where on the surface it makes sense. In reality, it's completely stupid. Okay. You don't know where the kill zone is in some cases. You might, I mean, if you see uh, an active shooter and you're in a mall and they're walking down and, you know, they're, they're shooting some people and, and, you know, you're five stores away that you can get into a store and conceal yourself behind something, you know, that, that makes sense. I mean, to get out of, out of that kill zone, but to apply it to this case at night when people, again, A lot of people are just saying we thought it was fireworks. They're not immediately identifying where this is coming from. And what do you define as the kill zone, and are you introducing yourself into the area more proximal to where the shooter is or that there are additional shooters? It just is simplified. It's a stupid statement for this article. And unfortunately, oh, God, now i got to do the read more. Stay low to the ground and zigzag. Okay. That actually is is pretty good advice. Stay low to the ground and, and zigzag. The first part, first part, stay low, get get low. But the second part is you have to think. In in the military, the, the first the first thing, you know, after you you minimize your your profile, is you move into communication. And what I say, you know, not, not these things. Run, act, fight. My my first thing always is think. Because you need to look at what is completely around you. I mean, what, what if, for example, like the people that found the cooler next to them? Or what if there's a, a light post that is, that is next to you and, you know, has this big concrete base? I mean, that you can get down behind that. I mean, those are the things that you have to take those seconds to figure out so you don't make a decision which is going to put you in the harm's way. Um, other people say, well, that's stupid because then you're just giving time. I mean, I'm talking seconds, and the brain processes information um, relatively fa- fast. I mean, in these chaotic situations, very fast. Rory Miller wrote several books on how to, to train um, guards um, in correctional facilities, and he did that himself. But he, he talks about this thing of, of taking that time to think about what you're thinking of um in those few seconds to to know so you can override kind of what an innate reaction might be to what uh intellectual reaction would be that you've actually thought out and yeah i mean if you're leaving and zigzagging now in this case like everyone probably i mean to zigzag might not be practical so you you might not have the space to do it um and the zigzagging obviously is is and that's just a pattern it's a strategic military pattern. They did it with boats and everything else because it's hard to get a fixed location on something that's that's moving in different directions. Um, so, yeah, pretty general information. I think stay low should have been, like, one of the first things. Like, get down, lower your profile. Five, if people are getting trampled, try to find protection. Um and and here it's like, you know, try to get behind like big speakers, big light stands, look for a structure get behind. If people are getting trampled, but how the hell do you know that? How are you making this assessment when 25, 22,000? it's like it it you know, stadiums when people rush down on the stadiums, they do not know like in Camp Randall in Madison, you know, they had the Madison the crush of what seven or seven, eight, nine people were killed, I believe, um, back about twenty years ago after I think it was beating Ohio State. They were they were crushed up against the railing in the front, and since they modified the stadium, so hopefully something like that could never happen again. But um, the people ten rows in back had no idea ten rows ahead of them that these people are being crushed to death. So this is like this knowledge again of your if if people are getting trampled, a lot of people probably didn't know people were getting trampled. Um. And try to find protection. Why would you say if people are getting trampled, try to find protection? Wouldn't you try to find protection anyway? So I did, I don't know. Um, six, tell your kids they need to listen to you and carry them if you can. I don't, what the hell kind of a statement is that? Tell your kids they need to listen to you. Like who are your kids going to listen to? I mean, and carry them if you can. So isn't, I mean, isn't that an intuitive, you know, it's like, Hey, yeah. Or, you know, my wife or, you know, for I'm I'm there with three friends. Hey, we have to listen to each other. Jeez. I just, yeah. And you wouldn't pick your kid up and, and carry them and, and naturally run, um, stay off your phone. Oh, Lord. Oh, um, well, yeah. Because if you're, if you're on your phone, in during the event, one is you're focusing on your phone and you don't have situational awareness of what's happening around you. So that's why you stay off your phone. It doesn't say that necessarily here, um, but you stay off your phone because you need situational awareness, completely aware of what is happening around you. Okay, that, that's why you're staying off your phone. Lock or barricade yourself. So they make some big leaps here from the fact of like stampeding to all of a sudden now step eight of lock or barricade yourself in, deny access. So they're kind of taking this. They 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 put these pieces together from a whole bunch of different resources. So this is like you know if you're in a building and you can barricade yourself behind a door, but um, deny access. But see, the reason you do that is because the active shooter typically um, is is not being discriminate and looking for you. They're looking for a, they're looking for people to kill. Okay, um, in general. So, and these events last about eight minutes. So what this one lasted nine, but I mean active shooter situations last about eight minutes, and they will identify if in if they're in a building. They'll identify the targets which are in plain view, um, or if it's unlocked doors, if a door is locked, or if it's you know barricaded or something like that, um, you know they're going to move on to a lesser target, less fortified target. So they'll just keep just keep moving on. So yeah, that that so that's why you do that. So so they get into like longer paragraphs here about why to do certain things, like if people are getting trampled, try to protection. To get protection but yet there's like one sentence here for lock or barricade yourself in if you're in an area when you're trapped like an office try to deny access to your location by closing locking and barricading the door idiots um again you're ta- you, this is assembled from pieces of information that is a situation where now that's inside of a structure this wasn't inside of a structure, so at least stay consistent to like. What if you're in an open air situation? Nine, defend yourself as a last resort. Obviously, obviously, you do everything to preserve your yourself. Um, but again, that that had that had no application to this at all. You can't defend yourself up against a guy in a building thirty-two stories up. So. This article is is it's a hodgepodge. Um, who are you again, Corin Miller? I don't know. I think I tweeted this article out once, just saying this is bad journalism. And Corin, this is this is horrible. Come on the show, be a guest. I don't know. I mean, and the thing is, I'm looking at this more. You pulled you pulled valid quotes from some professionals like you're kind of all over the place in this like different people that you cite and but you but they're all you kind of put them into different contexts like just in general and this could be outside and this could be inside and and no it, it really this this is misplaced this is this is misplaced um how I would have written this and first I, I really wouldn't have, have probably written this and, and probably not this soon. Um, cause I, I think I would have wanted more information about the outside venue and how the venue was set up and how just the exits were in, in general and, and some of those things before I shoot off an article like this. But I think one is, you know, you, you lower your profile. If something is happening, um, you are then using your heuristics to think of what your options are, trying to conceal yourself. If you identify where a shooter is, and you can get to what you perceive as an exit or a safe area. But, again, you're thinking single shooter, the the lone wolf. I uh, remember Klebold and Harris, that wasn't the case, and they tried to recruit more. And who, who's to say this guy wasn't working with others, Um and you could you could have had other people on the ground to a radio that he's communicating with. So um, get out of the shooter's line of vision, and you had no idea what that was during this event. You know, you, you had no idea um, this whole thing. If people are getting trampled, and you're not gonna you're not gonna know, and then why why would you say try to find protection after that? I just a stupid statement. Tell your kids to listen to you. That doesn't I wouldn't why would you say that? Stay off your phone. There I think you, you just say situational awareness. Like situational awareness. Like, yeah, don't answer your you don't answer your phone. You don't and until that event has has concluded. Okay. And again, they're gonna wrap up typically in eight minutes. And you definitely know you're in a, a safe area or it's concluded the police have brought an end to it. Then then yeah, access the phone. Um, and then you,
0: uh,
1: I, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not going to give you any more time on this article. I might, I'm probably going to link it out because I did, I, I did tweet it. So I'm going to have the hashtag to it, but it's bad, bad journalism, buddy. Corin, it's, it's it's not good. It's not good. And it's nine quick decisions made by those who lived. Um, and, you know, and you're implying this is from Vegas. um, but how how the hell did um, you know? Tell your kids they need to listen to you and carry them. If if you guys can, look to barricade yourself. And I mean, some people did that with a cooler. Defend yourself. No, but no one defended themselves. No one, no one there defended themselves against him. You know, nobody had to try to tackle him and take him down. Who was involved with this? I mean, you had the the, the security guard at the. At, the, at Mandalay Bay, you know, who had 200 rounds come through and, and, you know, was hit. But, I mean, if you're out on 22,000 people for the concert, I mean, you're not having to rush this guy and take him down or something because you have no other choice. It's just stupid. <laughs> Yeah, corn. I mean, if you if you want to, if you ever want to come on and and talk, I mean, I'd love to talk to you about the article and and just wh- why why you wrote the article. One, why you wrote this article, okay, and any it, your reaction to, to to what I think about it because I I think it. I think it's junk journalism. This, this is a horrible article. You're not, you're not doing anybody any good with this, Corin. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a pause
0: for the cause. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast.
1: And welcome back to the Safety Doc Podcast. Uh, we are, again, in extended version mode. You know what, though? A couple of weeks when uh, Larry and I do our show, that will be 60 minutes. We'll be back to that span. But uh, you know what, though? I'm getting more people than not who are saying they would like the longer shows because of they go out and they do something, whether it's it's hiking or they just keep a show on in the background while they're working on a project or in the garage or on a commute. And with a commute, it's pretty easy to, you know, um, listen to it over a couple days and, and things like that, just as if you're listening to a book on tape. But, um, anyway, a book on CD, a book on thumb drive, whatever it is. So anyway, how, how do you train for such events? So here's the deal. And I got this pretty damn concise here. So, Even in Vegas, this, this wasn't something anyone would have regularly trained for, that the Vegas police would have, would have regularly, regularly trained for, um, someone, you know, bringing in 15 guns and a thousand rounds of ammunition or whatever and breaking out a window 32 stories up and shooting down at people. Not that the Vegas police aren't trained, but I'm saying whether it be Vegas, you know, whether it's going to be, you know, New York. Baltimore, Milwaukee, whatever. I mean, you train in general, and you know that if someone is from an elevated position, it's much harder in daylight versus nighttime and things like that. So, again, um, you just train in general of if they're, you, you try to identify where the shooter is. Um, and, again, if there are shooters, and you have to be very aware of the environment that you come into, that in police, you know, know this in law enforcement. No, I mean, that they'll have a large perimeter and they'll work that perimeter smaller and smaller. Um, but if, you know, if they will try for schools, for example, though, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to try to get in and neutralize the shooter that they're aware of, but they're also being very cognizant that there could be other shooters at the same time. So it's like, even though like, you know, this Stephen Paddock is, is, Neutralized. I mean, take, takes his own life. They're doing a complete sweep, and they're continuing to sweep because what if he's, he has accomplices that he is working with, and they've gone silent, and all of a sudden they they spring out and they they start acting. Um, or what if he you know he had explosives, but nothing was set up. But what if he would have had something wired up, you know, or a vehicle that he would have had parked proximal to the, you know, um arena to, to where this this performance was and that that would have been set to detonate at a certain time so anyway it's um their police and fire and ems are always training for uh non-linear events i mean probably 50 percent of what they go to in in again i know this from talking to them i know this from my own training but you know you don't know what's going to be there. When you arrive, you assess what's in front of you. You use your training and tacit knowledge and you deal with it. Some of it be linear, like, okay, had this before. Um, others going to be very much nonlinear and you have to deal with it. In my community, we had about uh, 30 miles away, small town. And, um, of, you know, maybe five 600 people, they had a major manufacturing explosion, killed, I think, six people, maybe more. 35 fire departments arrived. So this community, their fire departments volunteer. So they have maybe, you know, they've never responded to anything of, of this magnitude before. And they have 35 departments or 37 in total responded, plus other supportive agencies, American Red Cross and so forth. And And so this is completely nonlinear. I mean, you're, you're showing up as a firefighter and you've, you've more accustomed to barn fires, vehicle accidents, things like that. And all of a sudden you're coming to a major industrial complex where there's been a massive explosion and a section of it leveled and literally uh, like a, a rail car lying on top of someone. And you have to amputate their leg with a, um, you know, doctor that arrives on the same. It's just crazy stuff nonlinear but you assess the situation and you work with it and it becomes it's it's chaos but again we've talked about chaos in previous shows watch the work of dr paul rapp had a military medicine for united states dr paul rapp um you can find a lot of his stuff on youtube he's phenomenal talk to paul um and things become evident in chaotic situations and high chaos of what your options are and what you need to do. Um, and you have your task knowledge, your training, and you adjust. That's it. We just, and we talked about this what a week ago. We had Katie on talking about the Cajun Navy going out and doing rescues. Um, these are people who don't know these areas previously and, and don't know the extent, you know, fully of what they're getting into. So as they get there, they do have the tacit of knowledge of understanding their equipment. They've done some of this before, um, and and every rescue gives them some piece of information that's new. But they're coming upon things and. Now one of the things too she said, which was very interesting, she said, you know, we didn't send anyone out at night because at night it's completely different. You you, you don't know what is in your environment, um, and you and and you increase your, your risk, you know, substantially. But the the Cajun Navy responds to nonlinear nonstop. Now, and, and then what would be linear? Linear would be going to somebody's house and you know, ripping out drywall and stuff like that. I mean pretty much no, pretty much know what you're going to expect on something like that. But nonlinear is you're getting the call and you're getting into a town that's flooding and they have no boat and you have three hours and you have 350 boats. You're trying to get people out the best way that you can and making all of these phone or, or these Zello contacts and two-way radio contacts and working between FEMA and National Guard and everything in the moment um, to put together some type of system. And these systems automatically do scale in season. You don't have to, practice. It's better if you don't practice because in, you're not trying to conform it to some practice. You're taking it to a non, um, you, you're then analyzing context of the situation and using non-linear to your benefit. So that's how you train, okay? that People are always, if you're fire EMS, you're always training. You're training to evaluate the situation before you and again, I think there's some very there's assumptions. I mean, now you know on the Vegas shooting, like it was one guy. But what if it wasn't just Steven Paddock? What if, what if it was really like four people that that comes out and and they just didn't carry out the rest of it? So I mean, it, this this narrative, Corin, and you're getting singled out on this is um is is very narrow. It's easy to write after after an event and go in and, and, and give specific, you know, to to whatever that event folds out, you know. Um, I I try to be much much more broad than that, and like I think what Katie shared, I'll, I'll tell you, um, Corin, what Katie did in her interview last week is 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 a hundred times. Um, more helpful to people than what you put together in this, this article. So my advice, when you are, whatever is recited by, by the news, the talking heads on your, your local TV stations. I mean, once, once you get into, you know, your, your mainstream media, they usually have the resource to have somebody on the ground and, and what they're doing is they're trying to connect up. They're smart enough to know to connect up with the police and to give you some data. But they're also trying to find people who are there to give you the first-hand account of what happened. And that's where you start pulling the stuff of like 2,200 people. And you don't know who the hell is there and who's not, who's coming to you. I mean, they might not have been there and they're just trying to get media coverage. But someone who says, you know, I just, I just froze and then you take that and then you bridge that quickly into an expert and experts are like, oh, freezing, like that's the absolute worst thing you could do. Was well, one person tell you the froze? Nine other people might say everybody was running around. So, um, you know, it, it, it's contextual and people also their own skill levels of the skill set that they bring and their own, you know, mobility and, and other things into situations like this. So. Yeah, I mean it's 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 making these statements without any context. So, but yeah, just expect your local media to just push this stuff out that they're going to run to school administrators because um, you know we have 55 million kids who attend school. School shootings are popular. This wasn't a school shooting, but you know the there's it it makes popular news to imagine. Well, what if this did happen and a school was targeted? What if this happened in an elevated position and it was a f- football stadium and, you know, you have 3,000 people on Friday night? Um, and of course, you know, talking with police. And this is where I really wish police would say, um, as far as like, you know, how would you handle that here of just saying we would, we'd have to evaluate the, the situation and the context. And we, you know, we train for active shooter events and look at you know what will, what would be around us and and make sure that we took that into consideration and the resources we had and, and try to neutralize the the threat or threats as soon as as possible and kind of leave it at that like be more generic or just you know that, that we do training we have training faci- actually Dean County has a tremendous training facility for something like this where and I've been there I participated in it um, you go through and it has like rooms set up so like even to how to go room to room Something like that would have been very interesting to share. But just to have somebody come out and give this, like, blatant advice without, you know, really understanding what truly happened. That happened after Sandy Hook, too. Um, Reality is that people need to figure out what is going on. This is the reality. I'm saying this this is the reality. The reality is if you're one of the 22,000 people in that right there, uh, attending that concert, or or in proximity to that, um, y- you've got to take time to figure out what's going on. And, and when I say take time, I'm not saying take ten minutes, but you have to you have to first figure out what's going on. Because if you're running, you might run directly into the line of fire. You know, people didn't know necessarily if this was just coming from above, and you could have been running toward where the second shooter was or the third shooter. You don't know that. So you have to, you have to take time to look what is around you and those people who found the cooler and stuff, that's smart, you know, okay? That, that's intelligent and that it's intelligent for the reason of one, you're providing yourself a barrier of concealment and the fact that you know most of these situations end in about eight minutes and that police are going to be on scene. Um, this other thing, too, of being trampled, too. Yeah, you, you want to make sure you, you don't get yourself into a crowd where suddenly you lose control over yourself. You know, like you're just starting to be pushed along. You do not have an exit route. Um, so that's another thing of, of knowing that. And that was very interesting at um, the 9-11 Boat Harbor because there were several blocks deep of people waiting to be rescued and thankfully there wasn't trampling and there was a reason for that that i referenced as transference dynamic a little bit different than this situation people weren't actively being you know shot at although they were not at all convinced that the event was was done after the second tower had been hit and it was actually you know when the the uh, third tower collapsed i think it was at what five in the afternoon so people were still perceiving that it could have been an active event but anyway, um, the reality is, yeah, you need to take time to figure out what's going on. Think. Um, make sure that you're, you're not running into the path of, of danger. And, it, again, these articles assume this is always like one person. Well, maybe it's not one person. Maybe all of a sudden then there's a detonation of, of something. He could have put a vehicle that could have detonated 10 seconds later. It's, you know. You could be trampled. Yeah, you want to be in control of your movements, meaning you don't. You you suddenly get into a crowd um, that puts you that decreases your options um, substantially. And finally, um, your your best always to lower your profile and conceal. I mean, right away, like to lower your profile, like get down. Right, we hear that. We we just know that. And and the fact that that wasn't immediately like just as the first thing here. Corin in your thing, get down, lower your profile so you're a smaller target and then try to get behind something. And then um, take your heuristics, your option, trying to keep your options open for as long as possible. Military studied this. Hey, I can email you some studies. Talk to David Klein, um, who did extensive research in the 80s on high stakes decision-making in the military. Core in. Core in. Um, keep your options open, communicate. So telling people to just run, especially at night in a large crowd, with constricted exits and no known location of the shooter or shooters is bad advice. Incomplete. I guess guess Corin and others, you know, I'd say irresponsible. Um, The local news covering this the day after on the 2nd, that's a ratings grab. Okay, that's a ratings grab, and trying to pretend you know more about what you you know, you don't know. You're not doing your own journalism on that. No one's you know spending the time pulling up some of their own information on that. Um, but uh, no, um, Corin, you know your your article came out on the fifth in Writer. So, congratulations again for putting this together for Yahoo News. Um, you know, you're different than the Talking Heads. The Talking Heads who come on the media and, and put a mic in front of someone, in, and you know, someone tries to to tell them what they want to hear, and also, um, you know, they just they just don't know any better. But and they should. But you had time to process this. You had time to think through this um and to assemble the article you did is it's it's bad buddy this this is this is bad work um this isn't a headlines grab article you know you could have taken this and you could have had accounts from people maybe that would have been just interesting to like ask the same three questions like you know did When, when did you realize you were being attacked? Um, and then, yeah, what, what, what do you remember as, as the first thing you did to protect yourself? Um, and you know, maybe when it was all done, you know, what, what did you think about of something you would have done differently? I think, I think that, that would have made a, an interesting story. And if you're gonna go to experts, um, you know, see if law enforcement on the scene, somebody you could have talked to, put some photos in here. I don't want that. You've got some. You've you, you've got a photo here of the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, like in a, a photo of. It's a piss poor photo, by the way, but, um, the. Pulse nightclub was a confined space. It was dark, so at least that's consistent. It was a confined space. Um, you know, 50 people killed, but substantially different. These you can't benchmark these two together which you, which you did. So at least, you know, and then you have Manchester England shooting. I mean, what what the hell are you I mean, I didn't even this even make this 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 takes your article and and like makes it suck even more than it does. So um no, you know, I think you need schematics of of you had time easily at this point. There were schematics out of saying like here's where the shooter was, here's where the event was, here's where the exits were. Um, and then have some accounts, you know, from some people. And then, like, if if it's an outdoor event, and the, and the reality is, and, and, you know, I, I know this, I, I know this stuff, which you don't. I know this stuff because of the people I I work with. Um, you know, there there are going to be ways in in the future to address outdoor events which might go in, into play. Um, that you know. The bottom line, no one no one could have anticipated this. You can't anticipate all things on a probability level. The probability of this was minuscule of of happening. He gave out some bad advice. It's a bad article. You know what, Corin? I'm um I'm I'm going to I'm gonna leave you alone at this point. Contact me. My information's out there at SafetyPhd. Um safetyphd.com. Find me. I'd be glad to talk to you. I'd be glad to talk to any of your experts. There's a different way to do this, folks. But before we talk about that, a little more about the safety doc.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful Testimonials Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast.
1: And we're back live in the studio. All right, we're wrapping up here. This this will be the end. There's a different way. Lo- local media should should report only the facts. I mean, local media should should you know Madison what what they had known. Here's what's being reported by Clark County Police Department: a number of deaths and and you know your that's the time you say we our affiliate on the scene. And work from there and work from the facts. Stop this projected benchmarking. So I'm, I'm going to be using that term. Um, stop this projected benchmarking as, as it's a rating grab to say, like get people. Well, what would you do if this happened here in your front yard? You know, what, what would you do? It just scares people. That's all you're doing. You're scaring people. It, it, you're, you're filling airtime. You know, it's not it's a it's a high topic of interest to people, but you're not educating people; you're just scaring people, and you're trying to transpose events which you cannot transpose. Benchmarking is completely not possible. Um, it's garbage. It, it's a it's a horrible question. It, it's it's horrible questions to ask. You're just scaring people. You're not doing any good. Be more general in asking questions. You know, of of police, like I'm telling the media, like such as how do you train? Like this was a perfect opportunity for you to have them introduce you to the uh, um, Dane County Training Facility, which has is, is a large, you know, converted warehouse, which does have like a house built inside of it. So police can show how they sweep into different rooms or actually have police show you some things about large venues. Interview. You know, people affiliate with Camp Randall in Madison. You know, which seats eighty thousand people, and I know those security folks. Um, And maybe you tried to contact them, and they said, "No, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get dragged into this." And just you know, some general questions, because there's very, very sophisticated ways that go into security for that, which keep those venues very, very safe. Um, But yeah, yeah, this, this is. You know, but no, you go and you ask schools. This was a uh, again someone thirty two stories up shooting down at twenty two thousand people in a confined area, and you're going and you're asking schools. There's a song it's uh called "I Sure Could Use a Little Good News today" it came out in nineteen eighty three by Anne Murray. That's your good news, a little good news today. Um, It's a cool song. You should listen to it. And uh, news media, you should listen to this before anybody gets on the air and starts to be a talking head and inflate all of this and just try to bring fear and fear-mongering into everybody. You didn't help anybody. It's like, yeah, let's let's get everybody together. in in the newsroom, okay, we're, we're right now, and let's just listen to this song by Anne Murray, I sure could use a little good news, because you had a chance, you had a chance here to counterbalance this, you had a chance, Madison Media, and I'm sure all over the country, but Madison's what I get, I don't watch a lot of TV, I listen, it happened to be on when I walked into the room, but anyway, um, you could counterbalance this. You could cover this, but you could counterbalance, and you could you could say um, you could have you you could have mentioned like positives that that are are happening with in the country right now, like the Cajun Navy relief. And this is where you know they'll jump in, and here's how to talk to your kids about if you know violence and things like that. Well, how the hell? Do you talk to your kids about like Cajun Navy Relief and the twenty to 30,000 people that they saved and nobody paid them a dollar outside of, you know, donations, Um, but people are paying out of their wallets to put gas in their boats and their props are just destroyed on, you know, if they have prop boats in their own and, and they're, they're, they're away from their families for weeks. How do you explain that to your kids? of, hey, look at these people who are doing this really awesome stuff. Katie, if you're listening to this, and I hope you are at this point, that you share this out to some people too so they can. You just don't share the bad things. You share the good things too. There's a lot of good things. And you could have done a nice job, uh, some media station of doing some balance of saying, you know, it, 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 you pretend like you're so concerned about people's mental health and you bring in mental health professionals and, oh, yeah, people, you know, they feel stressed from all of these things and whatever. Well, sure as hell you do. But then if you also, you know, like are listening of what the Cajun Navy Relief is doing and how they're, they're rescuing people and getting goods to people and 30 weeks after someone's house is flooded, they're still in helping them put up sheetrock and stuff. That that is like, hey, this is the good of humanity. There's two sides to this coin, and the thing is, this was happening simultaneously. I don't know. To me, I would have been impressed by that, but uh, I'm telling you know my my advice to you as my listeners um, and. Cappy, if you can help me out on this too, because I, I think you you subscribe to the same thing. Um, and Hec- Hector, uh, turn off the news. Turn off the news. The, the news, and you know Stefan Molyneux. Um, that's where find Stefan Molyneux and free domain radio. Stefan will cover this if he hasn't already. But turn off the news. The news is garbage. The news is garbage. The news, what is it? It's getting paid by commercials. It's it's an inch deep. It, no one gets deep into anything, especially local news. And national news just moves on to whatever the, the headline is. It was Harvey. Then it was Irma. Then it was North Korea. Then it was Maria. Then it was forest fires. Then, you know, it just moves. It just it's it moves. It moves, it moves, it moves, it moves. It doesn't set down roots. It's not investigative journalism anymore. It is just in the moment. So turn it. And to turn it out is negative. It sucks. It's, neg- it's negative. This is why people get. out. listen to the news, and I'm not the only one. But you know, if you want to stay informed, get your facts from. I'm going to give you three sites: Wiki News, Reuters. Or True News, T-R-U-N-E-W-S dot True News I actually like True News Uh, Wiki News, Reuters or Writers or whatever the hell it's called, because out of London, or True News. Um, those are, those are three that I find valid. Now, if you get into, um, Reuters and True News, those, you can start to get in if you want to, tangential articles of like what are motives of killers and stuff like I don't care cuz I mean that stuff will all come out once the the investigations are done and you know I don't know who I shared it with I shared it oh uh, I uh, it's going to come out I, I was I was interviewed um and it was about Adam Lanza and I I read some of the posts that Adam Lanza had made uh, to a um anarchist blog that he was a member of, which few people know of, and he, he made posts which were, you know, um, very intellectual. If you read them and you didn't know who was writing them, you probably would. And if if you read them and somebody said, "Do you think that could have been written by Ted Kaczynski?" The person said, "Probably yes." I mean, very, very high level intellectual writing. You know, very anti-government, anti government, anti you know, contemporary beliefs, a society type of writing, of course, you know, very positional and dark, but, v- you know, very well-written stuff. Um, but anyway, you, you can start to right now rabbit hole down into all of these things. Of what would have been, you know, what's the motive in all of this? And, you know, it'll it'll all come out. I mean, that's why you have investigations. So get away from the speculation side of this. Get away from the speculation side of this. It, it's It's endless. And that's where, that's where they sucker people into, uh, you know, but anyway, um, and, and listen, listen to podcast. And I just said one Stefan on Molyneux, free domain radio. I don't agree with everything. Stefan says he's out of Canada, more of a philosopher, but Stefan brings in a number of guests. He's very popular. So he, uh, gets who he wants on his shows. Um, And, but what Stefan is, is, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have rhetoric, you know, he, he's not going to give you the rhetoric. So he did a piece about the, um, Orlando, the the Pulse nightclub. I'm sure obviously he'll, if he hasn't done Vegas, I haven't checked, but he, every, you know, usually two days he, he releases something. And, you know, and Stefan, Stefan gets more, listens and downloads than like CNN and Fox and things like that. I mean, by far, Um but just as, just as an example. So go, go to the podcast nation. That's where you're really going to find what's, what's going on. Now, of course there's loopy podcasters too, but um you're, you're, you're not, you know, Stefan is, is paid by donors. You know, he's funded by donors. He's, he's not funded by, you know, a hundred different companies and, and has to conform to all of their different uh, expectations and regulations and don't offend, you know, this group or don't offend that group and whatever. Just like the safety doc, you know, um, I do have supporters, you know, I do work under, um, you know, with, with Sprigio. Um, but I can kind of talk my mind on this and, and too, you know, I don't, uh, I don't have anyone I need to report to on, on what I'm, what I'm saying on this. I I don't have, I don't have a hidden agenda. (laughs) The, the, the site isn't providing me my income, but what I want to do and continue to do is to provide you rhetoric free information perspectives on so many topics. And, and, you know, in Vegas was just too big to not jump into for the fact that so many people were jumping into it and, and muddying the waters and using it to push their own agendas. And I'll leave you with this. If you are ever in a sentinel disaster situation, now let's say it's like a shooting and, and things like that, you will have tacit knowledge. I mean, there are things that you... You can, you can do – I'm not going to give you specific advice through this podcast. I could design a, a podcast with some scenarios that would be post-specific events and look at how those were handled and how those might have been handled differently. And that's how you usually learn. Like Sandy – not Sandy, how come um, – what was it? Um, I, I talked about this on an interview. We took five um, mass attacks and, and that it, it happened – the most recent being Sandy Hook and, and went back all the way into the twenties but uh and looked at the research, the actual findings, the analytical data that had come out. And for example, we know at Columbine, you know, which was now almost 20 years ago. Um, Columbine learned that you you don't wait for a SWAT team to assemble, you know. Um you, you get your, your first emergency team there. It might be a state patrol. Uh, city police and whatever, and you enter the building and, and try to, to neutralize the shooters or make them aware that you're there as soon as possible because then either they'll surrender or they'll take their own lives. Um, Trish, typically uh, and and also that you number your exits and your in your building you know overtly outside so people know um, they had a hard time understanding where people were located in the building. And something that we still haven't learned is is to keep your pathways clear in and out because people tend to rush, especially parents tend to rush to sites. They did a nice, a really nice job with, with 9/11 of shutting off the access and exits to the the city and really monitoring those to, to not have those be be gridlocked. But um, of of New York, but you know, so so there are lessons we learn post study of this. And that's when you come in after this forensics have been completed. And then that's when you bring in your experts and, you know, they've been involved in that forensic process to kind of look, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I looked at a lot of the Sandy Hook stuff, for example, and you look at where the playground was at Sandy Hook too. And you realize even though the school was, was, um, well fortified, generally as well fortified as any school was at that time. Again, when you're coming up against the level of firepower that Adam Lanza had to, to say you're going to have bulletproof doors and things and whatever to try to keep him out, just not going to happen. But um, what happens then if Adam Lanza just waits until the kids go out for recess and your playground is fenced in? Or what if he takes his vehicle as soon as kids are out, drives up on the playground, and he goes – and now we've seen the vehicle attacks – so we have these modes of delivery, and a lot of people have been asking me too. They're like, Dave, are we going to start seeing drones attacks? Well, you know, drones have been used in the Middle East for a while now to drop um, bombs, improvised explosive devices. Uh, do I think we're going to see something like that? Widespread U.S.? Probably not. I just don't think so. Um, does it mean someone doesn't? Does it? Not, does it is it a guarantee it's not going to happen? No. Someone might get creative and decide they're going to arm a drone or, you know, put a bomb on a drone or something like that. But again, that's again, I think that's a low low prevalence event. And yet, like I read things like New York city plans for drone attacks on schools. So they get together and do drills and all of these things. It's, you know, there's this contingency priority matrix which is very important you have to understand you can't prepare for everything and there are certain likelihoods and then you also weigh what the impact of an event would be even though like a school shooting is very very low of likelihood technically in a school once i read like thirteen thousand two hundred eighty years in a specific school you would you know you have high consequence if if you end up with mass fatality in that.